0: Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona. Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R.
1: We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the Earth. We made this curse. Oh. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the
0: end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the True Crime Squad. I'm Christy Brower, here with my sister, co-host, and partner in crime, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. Hello. How's it going? Uh, It's going just fine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What can I say? I I couldn't decide
0: what to title this episode. Katie called it the Lying Liars episode. (laughs) That's a great title for today is Court, because we are here bringing you the dates. I kind of want to call it,
1: yeah, I kind of wanted to call it the Epic Saga of the Tampon Curls.
0: We learned something today, you guys. That's how Lori's curling her hair. She's wrapping them up in tampons. Mm-hmm. We hmm uh,
1: A girl posted in a group on Facebook that she had a DUI in Island Park and ended up uh, in the Madison County Jail. And her celly was Lori Vallow. Mm-hmm. And she said it was pretty terrifying uh not i mean L- Lori's not terrifying it's just terrifying to be around her you know like knowing who she is and what she's accused of she says that she was doing her makeup every day with uh colored pencils and also uh every night wrapping her hair up in tampons and that's where those that's jail where curls are curls coming no from gel yep.
0: curls no more tampon curls here we come <laughs>
1: gel curls are out. Tampon curls are in. Yes.
0: That's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, honestly. Right. You know, we all had those old um, kind of curlers, you know, when, when we were kids that you just wrapped your hair around. I guess that's basically the same thing. I know that women get very um, creative in jail uh, yeah. for lots of different things. But yeah, that's kind of funny.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We thought that was pretty hilarious. So.
0: Well, welcome. If you are uh, here with us live, welcome to your chatters. If you're listening to us after the fact, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're glad to have you all here. And I know a lot of you are new and we appreciate you and we're glad you're here. And uh, Christy has two questions. Do you think there's any chance yeah. Lori would be found not guilty or acquitted? I don't. At this point, I really don't. Does Idaho require a unanimous jury in sentencing a case such as this one? Yes. Well, the judge will be sentencing the case.
1: Right. Well, that's true. Uh, as far as uh, conviction, yes, they require unanimous jury. Yes. But you're right. Sentencing will be on the
0: judge. Yep. So you know, as long as the, the as long as they're able to find her guilty of some of the very many charges she has, then the judge will actually sentence her. Mm-hmm. And she can be sentenced to life for what mm-hmm. she is charged with. So
1: seems to me like the defense uh well they're not putting up much of a defense i i don't know i mean i think they're trying but i'm amazed at how many lack of cross examinations there are but even the ones they have are just kind of a reiteration they're like so you're saying you walked across the street then Mm -hmm. yeah i walked across the street okay i mean that's
0: there are definitely attempts at discrediting by getting people to trip up by asking the same question over and over. And I heard, and we'll get to it. There are several ways in which today they were trying to spin what was said in a little different direction. And we'll get to that because we had, we're finally moving away from uh, Charles death. Thank God. I think we've got the point here, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and we're moving into, sort of the next phase, which is when they move to, to Rexburg and all the stuff that happens there. So let's, uh, let's, let's kick it off. Uh, Lori was in the jail, the tampon curls and a black jacket today, just looking her normal self. Uh, The first um, court started quite late today, almost a half an hour late. Uh, There were just some things they were apparently talking about scheduling and various things and Anyway, that was kind of weird. So <laughs> um, the state called uh, Detective Nathan Moffat. He's from Chandler PD in Arizona. Blake was questioning. And of course, Arch- Archibald ag- objects again that he objects to any of the conversation about Charles or anything that happened in Arizona. Uh-huh. Um, Moffat was the case agent for uh, Charles's case at the at, at the beginning of it. And he did talk a little bit about what he saw and what he heard. And I mean, honestly what he heard and saw and talked to everybody about was the same thing everyone else has. So I'm not going to go into it really specifically because it really didn't, it wasn't anything terribly new. Let's just say it that way. But he did talk about the bullet strikes and uh, there were a lot of objections about this from the defendant, from the defense, but talking about how, you know, most definitely the, Wound in Charles Abdomen had to have been shot while when he was laying down. Which, you know, they've said that over and over, but you know, it's pretty darn hard to find something self-defense if somebody's laying on the ground when they're shot. Yeah. Uh let's see. Um, he did confirm he is the one that did the uh investigation into the life insurance. And he's the one that got the information that Lori, in fact, did try to file a claim on that life insurance mm-hmm. uh, because she did not know yeah. that Charles had changed his beneficiary. And we've had some kind of back and forth about that. He's the one who did the investigation and spoke to the insurance company. He said, mm-hmm. apparently she tried to file a claim. Um, and that's when and she couldn't. And that's when he found out that the beneficiary had been changed to Kay Woodcock. Yeah. And that testimony
1: was important because melanie gibb had it all twisted up and insisted that Lori knew before charles died that she was not the beneficiary and pretty much everyone else was saying that is not correct and yeah his evidence i think makes that quite clear
0: it was really important and that's really important when it comes to motive because Mm -hmm. part of the motive was the money we know it you know so then we finally start getting into the stuff that happened in Rexburg. So the state calls Sydney Shank. This was Prosecutor Wood. Sydney Shank lives in Arizona now, but she lived in Rexburg, Idaho in 2019. She was a BYU Idaho college student and she was looking for a job as a nanny on care.com. Mm-hmm. And that's where Sydney met Lori. They talked for a while over text about uh, Lori coming to do some, you know, some nannying and some babysitting with JJ. And then she actually came and met Lori for an interview to make sure that it was a good fit. Mm-hmm. Lori told her that um, she had a daughter who was in college and didn't live there and hired her um, the day of the interview, hired her to start the next day. So the interview was on, these dates are really really important the interview was on september 18th Uh 2019. so sydney comes the next day she watches jj on september 19th while lori went to the airport to pick up a friend and that friend would be melanie gibb um so she takes jj to a trampoline park and then he gets to play with a friend for a while Lori says, and this is there's so much unclear about JJ's medication. We've had tons of questions about it. Yeah, she said that Lori told her that she would give JJ his medication later because it helps him fall asleep. Mm-hmm. What medication she was referring to, no one's really sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, JJ had an episode playing with a friend, he kind of got mad, didn't want to share threw an ottoman in the, in the friend's house and had to come home and he was really angry and upset. And all he wanted to do was go upstairs to his room and hide. And so Sydney just let him do that. You know, Mm -hmm. she she was aware of JJ's disability and behaviors Mm -hmm. and stuff. And it sounded like she was pretty comfortable working with him and understood, which I thought Mm -hmm. was a good thing. Yeah. So. um, Lori came back and with her was Alex And Lori's friend and that friend is Melanie Gibb. Uh And she paid, Lori paid Sydney, and she left thinking that, you know, this was not a scheduled thing. It was more of a Lori will reach out to her and, you know, can you come for a few hours today? I need to go do some errands or I need a break or whatever. So, um, so Sydney reached out a few days later because she hadn't heard from Lori. So remember, she saw, she babysat him on September 19th. So she reaches out a few days later. Lori tells her that JJ has gone to his grandparents in Louisiana for a month. And that Lori herself was in Hawaii for a month. Uh And she said, reach out after a month and we can probably get you started back. Lying liar from Liarsville. So she did reach out a month later and Lori never responded to her. Uh So outside of the family and the potential co-conspirators, Sydney really is the last person to see JJ alive. Yeah. Um, Now here's where I started to see something with the defense that I went, Oh, they're, they are finally seeing some strategy. So Archibald cross-examined Sydney and he asked her, did you think that this was going to be like a long-term babysitting situation? And she said, yes. Uh, Archibald said, was there a set schedule? And, um, uh, she said no, but you know, Lori had indicated that this would be a long-term thing, not a short-term thing. So they're leaning toward, I think, that Lori didn't plan for JJ to be gone. Lori didn't plan for JJ to be dead. She was setting up things for him that were meant to last long term, right? Mm-hmm. This is kind of where the the, the prosecution is going. going. Yeah. Yeah. Because then they call Josh Josh Wilson, and this was Spencer Rammel for the state. Wilson Uh is the principal at Kennedy Elementary School in Rexburg, and that's where J.J. went to school for a very brief time. Uh He had provided documentation to the police for J.J.'s school enrollment. So he was enrolled at Kennedy Elementary on September 3rd of 2019 and was um, enrolled through September 24th. So remember, Sydney watched him on the 19th. By the time she called him, called a few days later, Lori told the big lie about uh-huh. where they were. The last day that he went to school was September 20th. Yeah. So again, we're really looking at very clearly who were the last people that saw him alive. Uh-huh. Um, so Wilson d- said that he did meet JJ during his school enrollment Um. Archibald wanted to know if the program had, if the school had a program for special needs kids, which they did. He wanted to know if there was special funding for that. And the principal really hesitated on that. But I think what he was trying to get out is, did they have a special education program? Because there is uh-huh. federal funding for that. He yeah. said there was. Archibald wanted to know, did Lori say that she was only going to be, he was only going to be in school for three weeks? Or was this be expected to be a long-term thing? Right. And he was like, yeah, we thought it was a long-term thing and that he was very surprised when JJ was unenrolled. The way that JJ was unenrolled is that Lori sent the school an email and said, you know, we're moving back to Arizona or, you know, whatever. She told one of her stories that JJ was not coming back to school. Mm -hmm. So the principal, Principal Wilson, actually called Lori to, you know, just kind of clarify with her, make sure everything was okay. And then he said, you know, when she gets him into a new school, all right, because he was going to live with his grandparents in Louisiana. Sorry, I can't even keep Lori's life straight. That when he gets enrolled in the school in Louisiana to have that school call Kennedy and they would forward his records on, right? Yeah. Well, Lori says, well, he's going to be homeschooled. He has a cousin with a similar, similar, disability and they're just going to homeschool them. And he was like, okay, well, if you ever decide to put him back in a public school, just have them call and we'll send records. And he never received any kind of records request on mm-hmm. JJ's behalf. Yep. Um, Archibald kind of did the same thing on Cross about, you know, expanding that out with did she say it was going to be a short time? No, she expected he was going to be in this school long-term. They're they're setting that up, which I think is interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, these witnesses got through very, very fast today. And it's messed up the schedule. And there's actually no court tomorrow. They don't mm-hmm. really have anybody to uh, testify tomorrow. Everybody they've got, they thought today's witnesses were going to take two days. Mm-hmm. And they... Everybody they've got for next week, they didn't have for Friday. So right. that's why there's no court. Well, there's no cross.
1: I mean, the there's cross. No cross. Is, yeah, there's no exactly. cross. I mean, the cross examination is either no cross at all or it's two or three questions. I mean, it's so brief.
0: Yeah, it is. It's really, really short. So then uh, they call Win Hill. Uh, Win Hill is the Dean of Students at BYU-Idaho. Mm-hmm. And he described their school management system and how they keep track of uh, students who apply and who are attending and all their records and stuff. Mm-hmm. And guess who never ever applied to BYU Idaho? Right, Tylie Ryan, Tylee Vallow, or Tylee What was the other? Or Cox. Ah. They actually looked it up with three different last names mm-hmm. with her birth date even though Lori said a lot of that stuff, it did not actually happen.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So then there was a sidebar. Well,
1: just wanted to make a quick note on Mm. that, uh, on Lori's lie about BYU, Idaho never carried any weight because Uh -uh. Kylie was 16. Now she could have, she had apparently had homeschooled. She could have had her GED and enrolled at BYU, Idaho. She could have been taking classes. She couldn't have lived on campus. No, 16-year-olds are not allowed to live on campus. That's their policy up there. She could not have been living there. Right. I mean, not that any of you need that lie justified to you, you know, but that's that's one thing that uh, I guess Lori didn't think about at all, is that Tylee was only 16 years old. She wasn't old enough to go live at a college.
0: No, she definitely wasn't. And, and
1: that college particularly, that's their policy.
0: It is. And she tells this lie all over the place uh-huh. about her being in school. So yeah. there was a sidebar, and then the judge sent everybody to break. This is at like 9:45 in the morning today. Everything went weird. Uh-huh. Um, well, there was a, there was something they had to deal with. So we went to break. We came back, and the jury was not back, so that they could argue because <laughs> the state was going to be calling David Warwick to the stand. But they had a problem because David had reported that he had broken the exclusionary rule. So the exclusionary rule is for all the witnesses in this trial that they are, once they've been subpoenaed, they are not allowed to read any articles, watch any videos, listen to any podcasts, anything that's reporting directly on what's happening during the trial and the testimony of people in the trial. Mm-hmm. So, Prosecutor Smith gets David Warwick up there on the stand, and I got to tell you, this dude—not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Okay. Uh-huh. So, David Warwick is married to Melanie Gibb. I, there's been a lot of confusion about that. They are married. They do not even live in the same state. He lives in Utah. She lives in Arizona. And but they, they are clearly aren't me. talking. Yeah, they're not even speaking right now, apparently. But, uh-huh. um. So they kind of talk about how David Warwick testified in the grand jury. He testified at Chad's preliminary. He has been interviewed by the police multiple times. So we have a pretty good idea of what he's going to say. But he admits that after Melanie um, testified, he listened to 45 minutes of her testimony from a YouTube video. Yeah. He was sick. He was on medication and about 45 minutes in, he realized he's not supposed to be doing this. So he turned it off. <laughs> Dear God. Right. I know he. Yeah. So um, he says he was concerned about Melanie and how she was doing because she was very nervous about doing this. And she was mad at him because he was really sick and he was supposed to be in town with her when she testified and he wasn't. He was going to be coming later because he was sick and, you know, so <laughs> just dumb, dumb. Okay. So, um, you know, yeah. he said that they don't live together and that they have not been talking about the case that he has not actually even spoken to her since she testified other than a text message that said she was done and she was headed home to Arizona. uh uh-huh. Um, he said he was only listening to her testimony out of concern for her. Um, he says he's not impacted by what he heard. He says he didn't learn anything new, that this was Melanie's testimony, which he ar- already knew about and was present for, basically.
1: So I mean, that part, I believe, but he knows damn well he wasn't supposed to do that. Right. That I was just stupid
0: and, stupid and entitled
1: and... ugh. Yeah, so, so aggravating
0: It is very aggravating. And frankly, I think they probably should not have let him testify because mm-hmm. I'm worried about, you know, the, the look of this. But
1: yeah.
0: so Archibald is asking him, like, what have they talked about after her testimony? He says they haven't other than say that she was going home to Arizona. Um, He said he wasn't actually listening to her words. He was listening to her tone of voice to see how she was feeling. <laughs> I mean, that was just, like, a collective eye roll in every courtroom that was a part of this today.
1: Also, stalker much? She's not talking to you to the degree that these are the lengths you have to take to hear her voice and see how she's doing? Yeah. Wow, David. Double wow. Yes, very creepy. So
0: so Archibald said, so how did she sound? And he said, she sounded somber. (laughs) You think? Yeah. So He wanted to know... You know, who posted, whose video did he watch? And he said it was either Hidden Crime or East Idaho News. And it was specifically a clip of just Melanie's testimony. Um, But he did also admit that since receiving the subpoena, he's also read a couple of articles about Melanie and one about Alex and Zulema. And he was very, David was very confused. He was very confused during this time and later when he did testify I, I don't know when he actually read those articles because he changed what he said several times. Smith kind of tried to. Agree. I, yeah. His
1: testimony wasn't that important.
0: It it really wasn't. That's the thing. It's, so Smith tries to redirect him. Says she he only listened to forty five minutes of her testimony, and um, that he hadn't read or listened to anything else that was actually related to the trial, which he said was true. Um, and he said he wasn't impacted. Um. Yeah.
1: And he may not have been, honestly. I don't know what kind of medication this man is on. I don't know, but there
0: is some. Who? got to be. So, you know, the defense asks that he be barred from testimony. So, Smith wants, you know, the court to consider that this wasn't willful conduct. Uh, It probably was. That he was just listening to his wife to check on her and that he did notify the prosecutor about it. You know, blah, blah, blah. So... Um, you know, Smith said there are other remedies for this, which one would be to instruct the jury about what had happened. And, you know, and that barring the testimony is the most extreme. So Archibald said, we have the exclusionary rule for a reason. And that his motivation really didn't matter that he did do exactly what he knew he shouldn't have done. And that the rule is to protect the integrity of this trial. Uh-huh. So the judge, you know, kind of listens to all of them and Apparently, they'd known about this prior because they had some uh, Smith had submitted some Idaho case law in cases where they did allow a person to testify after this because they didn't feel it was necessarily um, detrimental. Mm -hmm. So he said the options are the witness could be actually cited with contempt. Mm -hmm. Uh, He could just they could instruct the jury about the noncompliance or they could bar the testimony. So the judge decides to allow the testimony with comment from the defense during cross. So they can basically impeach his credibility during the cross.
1: They can kick his ass during cross for what he's done.
0: Yeah, Which they did, except that they didn't even bring up this incident. It was real strange.
1: (laughs) Maria said, lock him up. (laughs) Right. I don't know if that's exactly what you said, Maria, but that's what I said.
0: (laughs) Well, the judge said he thought it was a little extreme to actually like charge him. So I don't know. So he gets back up on this. This all takes forever. You guys also remember that David Warwick is is fairly hard of hearing. And so they have to keep making sure that he can hear them. He is coughing and sounds terrible and has to stop for a drink every five seconds. Finally, they bring the jury back in because this whole conversation happened without the jury. So they bring the jury in. So then Prosecutor Smith starts talking to David Warwick, talking about being married to Melanie Gibb and how he met uh, Laurie through Melanie in Arizona. Um, Apparently, and I had forgotten about this. David already knew Chad. Chad had wanted to write a book with David Mm -hmm. a while back Mm -hmm. prior to this. And (laughs) David had said No that it he didn't think that chad was a good fit for him uh-huh. it's really apparent in everything that david says he doesn't think much of chad at all uh-huh. so then they all meet up um well he initially meets uh laurie at her house in arizona
1: right well- David was a part of the AVOW stuff, right? I mean, he had also
0: done the some preparing a people
1: stuff. Oh,
0: that's right. Yes, the preparing done some people stuff for preparing a people. He'd done some podcasting, although it's really mm-hmm. clear to me that David doesn't actually know what a podcast is. Ah, and we'll get to that because <laughs> Jesus Christ, that guy <laughs> should not have put him on the stand. I'm just saying it. So he had met her in Arizona. He would met Lori and chat Lori and. Chad was there and Alex was there and Melanie Gibb and all this stuff at Lori's house in Arizona. And it was not long, only a few weeks after Charles died. That's the first time they'd met. Mm -hmm. So then he met her again at her house in Rexburg, Idaho, the weekend of September 20th, 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, He was there to do a podcast with Lori and Melanie, the topic of which David really has no fucking clue, to be honest. Um, he was also there to attend a book of Mormon conference that happened in Rexburg that weekend. Right. And, um, that's
1: where I think David shines. My guess is that he is a pretty, uh, a pretty good book of Mormon scholar.
0: He is, he is, he is a
1: historical, like church, church history scholar.
0: I don't think today was his day because he couldn't remember shit, no. but yeah. No. And he was also going to visit his son in Pocatello. So it was this whole mm-hmm. thing. He was going to stay. He was initially going to get a hotel. And then uh, Melanie had said, Oh, you know, she has a spare bedroom, uh, a spare bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so he they ended up staying with Lori.
1: Now the name of the podcast was loin fire throughout the ages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank God it wasn't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I made that up. Don't go saying that I said that.
0: (laughs) I I don't ever want to see. I never want to listen to that podcast. Ugh. (laughs) so David saw JJ several times throughout the weekend. He never met Tylee. He heard Melanie ask Lori where Tylee was. Lori said she was attending BYUI and wanted to be independent. Mm -hmm. Live. Um, David tried to interact with JJ. David has a disabled grandchild and so you know he was he had some interest in JJ's this is what he has said and he has said this in every testimony I have heard that he tried a couple times to interact with JJ but JJ was not having it um and then he did see that JJ interacted with Alex a little bit and then um there was then he went out and played with some friends JJ did and He said he was happy to see that JJ was, like, happy and enjoying himself a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll
1: give him that. He at least gave a flying fuck about JJ, whereas no one else seemed to, including Melanie. Yeah. Everything you hear her say about Lori's kids was so uncompassionate and dismissive.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So this is... um, This is when he kind of, he starts hearing about the gathering at the 144,000 and and all this stuff. And he is pretty immediately put off by it. He says, again, is this true? I don't know. Yeah. Um, But he says that, you know, Chad told him that he's gathering the 144,000. And David was like, uh, well, that would be a pretty important calling. And that would have to come from the prophet of the Mormon church. You can't decide that about yourself. Um, He said also, he talked about, you know, that they were going to call their church, the Church of the Firstborn, which is something that's referenced in some Mormon scripture. David could not remember what Mormon scripture, though. Um, He and Archibald went back and forth over it forever. I, I have no idea where it is listed. But David did not believe Chad about this and was very skeptical about the things that he was saying about this stuff is what he says.
1: Now was this the conversation about secret combinations or
0: uh no what we're getting okay. there. <laughs> no. So he also said he had noticed that Chad and Lori were very affectionate with each other. And David knew that Chad was married. Mm-hmm. And so David said that he asked Chad, you know, like are you not happy with your wife? And uh what did he say? He said Chad said something like he was satisfied with his wife or something, some gross thing that I was like, you're an asshole. But anyway, yeah. but yes. he said that several years ago, ooh, Chad said several years ago, about three years prior to this, he'd had a dream that Tammy would die before Chad turned 50. Um, and that after that, he and Lori were going to get married and they were going to gather the 144,000 and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. David, you know, according to his testimony today, was real skeptical of all this and he said he didn't believe it um we
1: took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see we could not but she did and in the end What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2.
0: Play it now with Game Pass. Let's see. I feel like my tweets are out of order. I don't know. I'm trying to keep it all together. So they did do the podcast that they were there to do. It had Mm -hmm. something to do with something. I don't know. He couldn't even remember, which seems insane. But when Archibald started asking him him about podcasts, he said, well, you know, we... We do them for like preparing a people and campouts and reunions. What he was talking about is that he's been asked to speak publicly at various things. Uh But in his mind, the podcast was the same thing because um, Archibald kept trying to get him to say, who is the audience for this podcast? David has no clue what that even meant. Yep. That was really clear. Uh But So they do the podcast and Alex was babysitting JJ while they did the podcast. Alex comes in, he's carrying JJ. We've all heard this story, takes him up to Lori's room because David and Melanie are staying in JJ's room. He says he can't remember what JJ was wearing. We all know that JJ was wearing the red pajamas that his body was found wearing. Like that's been said over and over again.
1: I mean, that makes me think he didn't read, uh, you know, too much of anything or listen to too much of anything. Because the red pajamas have been talked about a
0: lot. He said he thought he had on camo shorts and a t-shirt. Oh,
1: maybe he did earlier in the day.
0: Maybe he did. I don't know. I don't know. But then this is the night that um, David has a really bad nightmare. And Lori or or, uh, Melanie wakes him up because he's having this bad nightmare. And she says she's going to go get Lori and have Lori get Chad so Chad can come and give him a blessing. And he made it pretty clear that the blessing was not his idea. And he was not all that keen on having Chad give him a blessing. But he said he did consent to that. But when Melanie went to Lori's bedroom door, uh, Lori didn't answer, like, at all. And the door was locked. So they well, didn't in get her the...
1: testimony she said that she texted Chad twice and called Lori twice and yeah. neither
0: of them ever responded nobody responded and yeah so that I don't know where were they good question um so oh, we also
1: cleared up that it was Chad's neck
0: yes it was Chad's neck that was scratched mm-hmm. by JJ yeah we got that wrong a few days ago that that's kind of gotten switched up
1: well if you go back and, and listen to Melanie's testimony that could have gone either way
0: yeah. I think that's why half
1: the people in our courtroom heard JJ's neck and half people heard Chad's neck. Yeah. The way she said that it could have been either person's neck, but it was Chad's.
0: Mm-hmm. It was. So the next morning, David doesn't see JJ. He says he asks about him. Lori said he was acting out. This is apparently the day when he climbed up on the kitchen cupboards and knocked off the picture of Jesus. And that's when she just was sure he was now a zombie. uh hmm So she, and David didn't say the zombie part, but all the other stuff he did Uh and said that Lori said that she, he was with Alex Uh and David was concerned about him and had wanted to see him and was going to, um, give him a blessing because everybody's just giving everybody blessings in this situation, but he was with Alex and he never did see him and he never saw him again. Yeah. So then Archibald comes on. So Archibald just does his best to discredit with David, which I will say David made it pretty easy on him. (laughs) It wasn't hard to do. (laughs) (laughs) So at the time that all of this was happening, um, Melanie and David were dating. Melanie was divorced. And he made a real point, uh, Archibald did, of making David say that he, in fact, was not yet divorced, but was mm-hmm. in the divorce process. Yeah, It was some real Mormon shame, I felt like. Oh, yeah. Also, because he also made him say that he and Melanie were, in fact, asleep in the same room. Mm-hmm. And it's there's been a question about that, whether Melanie was in Tylee's room or not. But no, they were in the same bedroom.
1: They lied about that, I think, at Chad's preliminary.
0: I think they did. Um,
1: I haven't but, had the energy to go back and listen to that all again, but I am and, quite sure that they lied about that.
0: And, you know, if uh, only Mormons are going to care about that, honestly, but he made a sure to make right. him make him feel stupid about it, which was it was just weird. right.
1: Well, the defense keeps doing this. They mm-hmm. keep using Mormon terms, uh, applying Mormon shame. Yeah, I think they're really taking for granted that their jury is not all Mormon people like it would right. be if they would had if they had, you know, kept this in Fremont County. Right. But they keep saying and doing things that make me think they're not aware of where they are.
0: Right. Although they do know the religious f- affiliation of the jurors. Sure. Yeah. So
1: well, there may be true.
0: more Mormons on that jury than we know. Because it is interesting how this sort of comes off. Mm-hmm. So he confirms with David what he does for a living. David is a general contractor um, and has also done religious podcasts, although he doesn't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he, he met Melanie through their similar interests. He met Laurie and Alex through Melanie. Uh, he said he remembers Alex as being fun and lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Then they had a big conversation about preparing a people, and Archibald made it very clear with David that preparing a people is not affiliated with the Mormon Church, which is true. It's not, uh-huh. and also that preparing a people is not a group because it isn't. They're a they're a like a a conference company. They're a company that puts on events. Uh-huh. Preparing a people got sort of talked about like this it was this group it, it's just maybe the people who attend their conferences are a group but they are like a media a media and conference company
1: when this case um, first all broke you know clear back three years ago yeah uh, they had even put a notice on their facebook page basically like talk about us on your podcast and you're going down
0: yeah <laughs> basically and also chad Bell who yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like, "We have nothing to do with this." Yes, they did. Yeah, he also made a point of saying that this Book of Mormon conference that they went to was not put on by the Mormon Church, mm-hmm. which was also true. It was put on by some local people in Rexburg. Um, Archibald just hammered him over and over again about his podcast. It was very clear that David had—he was just talking. He had no idea what he was doing. The podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he was talking about religious topics in interviews and that he was not paid for any of these things Mm -hmm. that he was doing. So David basically was just talking about his experience, his conversion. He's a, he's converted to Mormonism and his spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. So then Archibald asks about David's visions and prosecutor Smith jumps in with a, with a big objection on relevance and they have this big, thing about whether this is within the scope or not and the judge overrules smith and says yes they can talk about this uh-huh. so then archibald says well what about your visions about all the secret combinations you know the one in washington dc and the one in england and how about russia and china and the us being sacrificed for a one world government government with uh-huh. no explanation About what a secret combination even is. And that's a Mormon term. That people are not outside of Mormonism. Going to even know what that means. No. But never fear. Yes. We
1: have you covered. And these are. uh, This is from the. uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints website. And these are references to the Book of Mormon. In case anyone's curious about where. This information came from. Secret combinations are an organization of people bound together by oaths to carry out the evil purposes of the group. Yep. Kind of seems like Laurie and Chad's group. I don't know. Right. The father can... of lies stirreth up the children of men unto secret combinations. I must needs destroy the secret works of darkness. Judgments of God did come upon these workers of secret combinations. Gadianton did prove uh, almost the something something destruction of the people of Nephi. The uh, story of the Gadianton robbers is a big uh, part of the Book of Mormon. Anyway, so in case you're curious, that's what secret combinations means.
0: Yeah, I was blown away with with this though that there there was no he just used that term and then just went right on and I was like, uh, that nobody, a lot of people are not going to know what that means. So mm-hmm. basically he's had visions that uh, all these different secret combinations are at work to destroy the United States
1: uh-huh.
0: and to attack the United States, which is interesting because it's very similar to what Chad's been saying. But I think right now what we have is like dueling visionaries. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I could totally see them like off? in a ring, you know, because <laughs> uh, it was, it was really kind of funny um, thinking about that. David doesn't believe in, chad's visions but he believes in his visions and they're both about the same damn thing so that was interesting Mm -hmm. uh there was a big objection around asking that question again um so then they kind of move on from that archibald asks david about the vision he had while he was at laurie's house big objection misstatement of evidence well he's referring to david's nightmare Mm -hmm. so then he and david have this big conversation about the difference between a vision and a nightmare so (laughs) what (laughs) i'm like what does this have to do with anything so david says a nightmare feels like it's happening right now to you and a vision is something where you're being shown the future so all of this
1: is a good definition
0: It is. But all of this is just kind of to make um, David look like a loon, frankly. It really is. Um, At one point he was asked, Archibald asked him if he's a visionary. And he says, he doesn't call himself anything. (laughs) But other people do ask him to come talk about his visions. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, He wanted to know how a blessing would have helped him after that nightmare. And this is when he was kind of like, well, I didn't really ask for one, but that was Melanie's idea. Um, because
1: Melanie was all it, she right. believed all this stuff. She thought Chad was the bee's knees.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. then he confirms that he did see the scratch on Chad's neck. He also says it really wasn't that big of a deal. Just like he was digging was- Chad at every moment. It was funny as hell. Um, but David didn't actually see the scuffle with JJ and Chad. He just Chad yeah. showed him the scratch. So they kind of go through the whole thing again about how Chad doesn't have the authority to be the one gathering the 144,000. And um, so Archibald asks if the podcast they're doing is to prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And David says, no, that the podcasts are to build faith. And then he kind of talks about a lot of stuff that sounds like preparing for the coming of the second coming of Jesus Christ. like. <laughs> um. Archibald wanted to know on that Monday morning when he was when David was worried about JJ, did he call the police? He said no. And the reason he didn't is because Lori is, was just the sweetest, nicest, most wonderful woman on the whole planet of Earth. And it says all of these glowing things about Lori and that their he and the other people present that their characters didn't match their teachings. He thought they were good people, even though they were spouting crazy bullshit, is basically what he was saying. Uh-huh so then they do a redirect smith says okay um archibald's been asking you a lot about uh uh dreams i'm gonna ask you about reality <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me again what happened the night of the podcast and the next morning so says alex brought jj in he looked like he was asleep took him upstairs to bed in Lori's room um the next morning Lori said jg was out of control he climbed on the kitchen counters and knocked over the picture of jesus so alex took him away right mm-hmm. and that was where we break for lunch but i mean i don't know what they were trying to get out of david warwick's testimony but really what they got was just a lot of dumb dumb bullshit really just a and whole he lot just nonsense. It, it really came across badly and i think that they should have just let him not testify mm-hmm. He screwed up. He just should have not testified. Honestly, yep.
1: absolutely.
0: So then, after lunch, the state calls Detective Bruce Mattingly. He's from Fremont County, and he is the one that served the search warrant on Chad Daybell's house in on January third of twenty twenty. He was there with um, FBI, and they took possession of a lot of evidence out of their out of hmm house. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it basically this was just showing chain of evidence. like yeah. that he's the one that took them. He took them to the police station and then we get into a bunch of other stuff about who took them who took the evidence to Salt Lake City where it was to be analyzed. Like they're just proving they're just showing chain of evidence that the that the evidence wasn't tampered with. Uh-huh. So then we get FBI intelligence analyst Benjamin Dean. Dean works in the Salt Lake City FBI office. He analyzes information in criminal cases, and his job is to look for patterns. And he's also an expert in language and linguistics.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, he started on the case in, in March of 2020. He was reviewing tips. So when the kids were first um, you know, found to be missing. And they discovered that the last time Tylee had been seen was in Yellowstone Park on January or on September 8th, 2019. There was this big press release that went out and a call for people. If you were in Yellowstone Park and you were at Old Faithful at this certain time on this day and you have pictures or video, please send it to us because we're looking for, you know, any more proof about this situation. So Dean is the one who reviewed all those tips. Uh, he also reviewed the the devices that were taken from Chad's house. Yeah. And what they did is they took those devices and they have a program where they download all the data from those devices, and then they they burn them to Blu-ray discs. And he got mm-hmm. the Blu-ray discs from that January search. Mm-hmm. So he had he kind of explained how that all works. The whole point of his testimony was to talk about the raccoon text message yeah, that happened on um, September 9th of 2019, which is when, you know, that we're pretty sure is the day that, that Tyler was killed and buried. And this is the day. So they submit, you know, the texts for as exhibits and all that stuff. Uh-huh. You know, and this is when Ta- Chad sends the text. He says, you know, I've had a something like an interesting day. He he was out working in the yard and he saw a big raccoon running down the fence line, which didn't make any sense at all because raccoons are nocturnal. Anyway, that he said he shot it and he buried it in the pet cemetery and then he lit a fire in the fire pit to burn a bunch of branches. So Dean talked about how but to Tammy, this, right? Those texts. To Tammy. Were to Tammy. These were all to Tammy. And then he said, he's going to shower and then he's going to the library. And Tammy texts. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm I've, like,
1: I've thought about that text a lot of times. I know. Yeah. While Tammy is at work. Yeah. Earning their actual income. Yeah. Uh, Cause Chad wasn't making a lot on his books. I mean, he no. was just letting Tammy carry them. And so she texts time. from her job. Good for you. You're actually doing something. Yeah, or,
0: or good for you, dumbass. <laughs> Why do or I care you about that? Take a
1: shower. Yeah, yeah. Like, what is this about?
0: Yeah. yeah. And then he texts later. I'm back home now. Mm-hmm. So Dean had evaluated the way that Laura that uh, Tammy and and uh, Chad normally texted each other, and it was usually really short. Just to the point like, hey, I need to do, I need, I need to put a check in the bank or this happened or, you know, really basic right. short messages and that that text was different from the way all of their other communications had been. Mm-hmm. The narrative style and the length of the text was unusual. And so yeah. he, this text, he then reported to his boss, this is something that um, spurred the uh, the local police to consider what happened on that day on his yeah. property, because it was like a lot of explaining of things that Chad normally didn't do at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, good point, Paula. He, we've talked about this before. It is very creepy that in the text, he used the word limbs that he's burning some limbs. Yes. He was burning That's gross. limbs. That's yeah. Gross as hell. Yeah. That is awful that he said yeah. that. So yeah. that
0: was his whole testimony. There was no cross-examination and they released him. Again, no No cross-examination. And then we get Detective Sergeant Dave Stubbs from Rexburg PD on the stand. And a lot of things happened here. But the first thing that happened is we spent, I think, about a half an hour admitting exhibits from... Mm -hmm. These were all business exhibits. And a lot of them came from search warrants for Amazon. Ballard Insurance Group, Spring Creek Book Company business records, Expedia for travel records, like 10,000 Verizon accounts, Uh Um, the Hampton Inn, Tammy's Gmail and Fitbit accounts, uh, Rise Broadband, um, Southwest Life Insurance, which was actually Joe Ryan's insurance. Uh, Let's see. T-Mobile cell phone accounts, AT&T cell phone accounts. This went on forever. It took like Uh a half an hour just to admit these. Okay. So this was a lot of the investigation that the Rexburg police did. So they admitted all these documents so that then Stubbs could testify to them basically. But Stubbs, Stubbs had a rough day. Let me just (laughs) say that I would hope that a detective, like a Sergeant detective, big wig, you know, he's a supervisor of detectives, would maybe do a little better job on the stand than this because he was so confused and he confused the shit out of everyone. So he talked about how um, Fremont County asked, asked Rexburg PD to help them um, to do some surveillance when they were trying to find the Jeep. Uh-huh. And this was on, this started on November 1st of 2019. So he did some surveillance at Lori's apartment. They didn't find the Jeep there, but they followed Chad and Lori to Idaho Falls, where they went to Hobby Lobby and the credit union, and they have pictures of them, you know.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So they they talk about all that. They enter the photos into the exhibit. Lori's got her head on Chad's shoulder as they're walking in to Hobby Lobby. You know, uh-huh. this is literally two weeks after Tammy died. Yeah. Um, so anyway. They do finally find the Jeep, and Rexburg PD tows it to their impound lot. That was on November 4th.
1: And, and I'd like you when... to know that I spent the better part of the afternoon trying to find the Jeep, because we're quite sure it's still impounded here in Rexburg. So I really wanted to show it to you guys, but we couldn't find it. But I finally got a tip on it late this afternoon, so I still have an idea. But Oh, anyways.
0: interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is where things start to go to hell because Stubbs just, I don't know if he was nervous, if he needed to drink more Mountain Dew. I have no idea. So (laughs) the prosecutor asks, who owned the Jeep? Mm -hmm. And he says the title of the Jeep was in the names of Joe Ryan and Tylee Ryan. Mm -hmm. And Smith kind of looks at him or whatever prosecutor was. I think it was Smith. And then we all kind of look at him like, it wasn't Joe Ryan. It was Charles Velo.
1: That Jeep was bought a year and a half after Joe Ryan died.
0: Yeah, it couldn't have been. A Joe year-ish.
1: Around. So yeah.
0: she prompts him a couple times. Are you sure that's Joe Ryan? Oh, no, I'm pretty sure it said Joe Ryan. And you know. And she's like, are you sure that wasn't Charles Velo? Oh, no, I'm pretty sure it was Joe Ryan. So they just go <sighs> on knowing that this is friggin' wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in our courtroom, we're all sort of looking at each other like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. So then he gets real mixed up because she starts asking him about the date of the welfare check that was done uh, at Laurie's house when they were looking for JJ after Kay reported to the Chandler police where they were and what was happening. Right. And he says, yeah, that was on September 26th. September Right, mm-hmm. and the prosecutor goes, September. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I think so. And then she she said, "So the jeep was found on November 4th. Yeah. She goes, "So was that a was that welfare check? Was that before, after the jeep was found?" And he's like, "Well, it was after the jeep was found."
1: Oh, for the twenty
0: sixth is after. Dave, what 4th. the hell are you doing this went around it went round and round forever and i was just like are you freaking kidding me right now <laughs> it was so annoying i was like you are doing a terrible job right now sir so they finally get it worked out that it was november 26th you dumbass okay so Stubbs is a supervisor right so um Hermosillo and hope go to Lori's house first on the 26th Lori is acting, you know, everyone's acting real questionable. Chad lies about how even knowing Lori or even having her phone number. You know, all that stuff happens, right?
1: And don't so, forget that Hope and Maceo have both been raked by Chad as translated beings who are dark. Yes. There's yeah. only 50 on the whole planet.
0: I know. And two of them are in the Rexford PD. My God. yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, basically Hermesio comes back and says, Hey, I think you ought to go over there and check that out because something is not right. And so Stubbs and detective ball go over there and Stubbs decides to turn on his body cam when they go to talk to Lori.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And so this is when Stubbs stuff kind of got better. Cause we got to see the body cam and then we didn't have to listen to him continually fuck up stuff. Um, so they admit the body cam into evidence so we review the body cam. Uh, they notice that Lori's car, which was a blue Subaru, is home. Mm-hmm. And ball knocks on the door. Lori opens the door. And, you know, she's kind of like, what are you guys doing here? There were already police here. And she's flipping her hair and, you know, doing the Lori thing. And mm-hmm. um, she she's tells him that,
1: that golden vagina.
0: Yeah, she really, really was. Mm-hmm. So then she says, you know, she's not alone in the house. Alex is there. But you don't ever see Alex. He never comes in to joins the conversation. So they start asking her about.
1: Wait, wait, can I ask, do they come into the house or is this all at the doorway?
0: They come in. Uh-huh. Okay. They come in and they're kind of standing, you know, not very far into the house, but they are inside the house. Mm-hmm. Um, they're asking Lori about where JJ is and kind of what's going on here. And mm-hmm. so she says, oh, he's with her friend in Arizona and it's no big deal. It's just that one of her brothers is trying to kill her and that's why she moved here. And. She just goes into like word vomit of the a, an absolute giant, massive pile of light. Uh-huh. She says her brother's trying to kill her. She found out after her husband died and he died of, I think she's, did she say he died of a heart attack this time? I can't remember. She says that so many times, but uh-huh. anyway, she says her husband died and after he died, she found out that her husband and her brother were, working together to kill her for her life insurance but of course and they just and and then she says yeah and now i gotta move back to arizona because he came here and he knocked on this door and he's gonna kill me and blah blah and she just she's talking 100 miles an hour they have not asked her anything that would be a reason to talk about any of this Uh and she's just going on and on and how she's going to move back and she's going to live with her friend melanie and that's where jj is blah, blah 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 and it's just it's so obviously lying mm-hmm. and like she can't, she just cannot stop talking it was ridiculous. And she's kind of flirting and she just doesn't tell anyone the truth about what she's doing because she's just not safe. And I'm like, that's a thing to tell the cops. I don't tell the truth about, I don't tell anyone the truth about what I'm doing. <laughs> like, Oh, that's Look smart. Me.
1: I'm lying about
0: everything. Yeah. yeah. So then she says, Tylee is, she has a daughter who's living, who's going to BYU and that she lives there with her. I'm like, you just got done telling people that she's living off campus, on campus now, she lives at home, whatever. Um, and oh, and also this is where she says that Kay is suing her for uh, custody of JJ and makes it all, you know, really vilifies Kay that she's just so terrible and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and the cops are like, well, we don't really know anything about any of that stuff, crazy lady. <laughs> mm-hmm. We just want to make sure your son is okay. Also, they ask, well, yeah, our cops, our officers were here earlier and there were two men here that, that seemed to know you. And uh, so they're asking about Alex and Chad. And she right. says that Alex is her brother and that Chad is Alex's friend. Now, the police already know that Chad and Lori are married. So right. Chad has lied about not even having her phone number. Mm-hmm. And then Lori, they're just friends with... He's her brother's friend. And that one officer goes, wait a minute, Chad Daybell? That guy that lives out there, he's gesturing to the other police. And, you know, they're gesturing toward the Salem area. He's like, didn't his wife just die? And the other guy's like, yeah, I think he did. Doesn't he have a couple daughters? And Lori goes, oh, yeah, he has a bunch of kids. But, I mean, it's it was the biggest lie, okay? It, it was just... And they already knew some of that wasn't true and verified... The rest of it, oh, was it her girlfriend Melody? Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, they're just kind of listening, and you know, mm-hmm. you can tell that they know. Yeah, but
1: their heads are probably swimming with yeah. all of the lies and the nonsense and the nonsense. Well, she was talking. really
0: animated and flipping her hair around and talking about, you know, she was the victim all the time and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And gave all this detail of information they did not ask for. Mm-hmm. So Stubbs said that he knew that um, she was married to Chad at the time. So he already knew she's uh-huh. lying to him. Um, and he said, you know, he says he's going to follow up with Melanie Gibb. Uh-huh. So that's when we take a break. So then after the break, come he's back on the stand. And they had been trying and trying and trying. Hope, detect- um, officer Hope or detective Hope, whatever. Detective, I think. Detective yeah. had been trying to reach Melanie Gibb. Had called her several times, left messages. She just wasn't answering. Yeah. So they went back to Lori's house. So then there's another body cam. Um, and they go back there and talk to her again and say, Hey, we really need your friend uh, uh, Melanie to call us and talk to us because she's not returning our calls. And this is when she tells the frozen Two lie oh they were going to Frozen 2 today that's probably where they are that's probably why she's not answering you know Uh and the cops are like we've literally been calling her all day like she hasn't been at the movie the whole day but they're like okay please you know have her call us so then the police were able to get a hold of Melanie Gibb and they she said that she did not have JJ and that she wasn't even in Arizona at the time there was an objection on this um, from the defense saying that this is hearsay. So they have to do this really roundabout thing to get this information in, because basically they they investigated every single one of these lies about um, JJ being with Melanie, with um, uh, Tylee going to BYU, by BYUI, You know they've they investigate all of these statements that she has made. Oh, that her brother went to her apartment and killed her to try to kill her. Um, Mm -hmm. They were able to prove that he did not travel to to Rexburg. That there was no evidence that he had ever traveled to Rexburg. Yeah. Um, Which also,
1: if someone knocked on your door that was trying to kill you, wouldn't you have called? Oh, I don't know.
0: The the police? police, right? Yeah. And yeah, no, she never had. She was just moving back to Arizona. That was the. Solution for the whole thing. Uh So, so basically Stubbs says, you know, we, we investigated all of those statements that she made and, and could not find truth to any of them. Yeah. So that's when they decided they better get a search warrant and figure Uh out what the hell is going on here. So they do, they issue a no knock entry warrant to um, Lori's apartment and Stubbs films it. So he's just like going around filming every room while they're searching. So he they come into the living room kitchen area. Stuff's just kind of all over the place. The keys to the apartment are sitting on the counter. Like, uh, I'm piecing out of here. I left the she left the keys. Like there.
1: like you'd leave your keys in the hotel
0: room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were Amazon packages that had been delivered that were left at the door. I believe this was the next day um, from when they first made contact. Mm-hmm. They go in the garage. There's couches and tables and guns. Lots and lots of guns. Yeah. So then he goes upstairs to the master bedroom and bath. The closet is completely empty. No clothes, nothing. There's yeah. bedding on the bed and there's a little child's mattress on the floor in that room, which I thought was sobering to see. Because yeah. that was JJ's obviously J.G.'s bed. bed. Yeah. Uh, So then he's noticed that there's um, like a a desk area where there's a printer and there are dust prints from other electronics that have been picked up and taken. Uh Um, There's also a lease agreement for Lori. And then he spells out the last name and he does not spell Ryan. He spells Revan or something weird. Uh So that's what I wrote in my tweet initially because I'm like, is that... Anyway, we get back to it. It was Ryan. She'd used Lori Ryan on the on the lease. But this was the lease for this apartment. Um, there was a utility closet, another bathroom. Then there was a bedroom that had two beds in it, a twin and a double. Um, in there, there was just some items that were like some winter clothes, but no other clothing. There were no toys. There was yeah. nothing that indicated children lived there. Go into another bedroom where they find a guitar and a bag that had toiletries in it. That must have been for a male uh, because it was like shaving stuff. And then the closet there was also mostly empty except for a couple of samurai swords, as you know, we all have in our closets, I guess. (laughs) And Those had to be Alex's. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Sounds like an Alex thing to do. I'm sure they were. And then that's where the video ended and that is where the end of the day ended it was real anticlimactic because he filmed the other the other searches too but we don't get we didn't get to see those yet right it was very though to see the the video of that apartment it looked like an apartment where they just shoved all the stuff that they could take with them in a bag and left Mm -hmm. and just dumped it yeah which brother jr about the one trying to kill her i we think it's adam Mm -hmm. because adam and charles see she just she takes things that are true and then just twists them because Adam and Charles were talking about trying to have like an intervention with her that was supposed to happen on the day that Charles was murdered. Right. And so she twisted that to, they were trying to kill her for her life insurance. Uh But that's kind of where it ended. It, It really was very striking though, to see like what the interior of her apartment looked like, because it did look like if you just ran in your house and threw some, your, Grabbed your clothes and a few toiletries and ran out the door, grabbed your laptop, you know, and and just left, you know, all kinds of other stuff behind because you were running. That is exactly Uh what it looked like.
1: Yep.
0: That was really, really striking.
1: Uh
0: And that's the guns, the guns, the guns,
1: you know, Alex had purchased, he borrowed $22,000 and had purchased 46 guns, 46 guns and a whole bunch of ammo.
0: Yeah. So it was wild, but you can definitely see that they were they were very aware at this point that shit was going down. I, yeah. I I'm sure at this point that they were pretty sure those kids were dead. Yeah. They didn't say that, but you look at the whole situation well, and the way that she behaved in the house and like.
1: Yeah. Well, then they go search the storage unit, which we haven't gotten there yet in this trial, but it's full of JJ and Tylee's stuff.
0: Yeah, which you would think Tyler would need at her dorm or wherever she was living and JJ would have needed in the house where he was living. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was that that was really sobering to just see that, to see what they saw and Mm -hmm. to see her behavior.
1: Yeah.
0: So, so sketchy. Mm -hmm. So that's where we left off. And um, there is no court tomorrow because this all went so quickly because the defense is not hardly cross examining anyone. Yeah. And so Stubbs will be back on the stand on Monday with the video of the other searches and probably a lot of other things because all of the um, exhibits, the 30 minutes of exhibits, certainly were not explained in his testimony. We, there, there's mm-hmm. lots more to come, I think, in relation to, the phones and a lot of that data. And
1: obviously, Hermosillo needs to teach a master class on testifying to right? his colleagues because he is a rock star on the stand. He Some is. Some of these guys need to take a
0: lesson. Stubbs definitely does. That was it was tough because at the beginning he screwed up so much that I really worried about what the jury was really thinking about his credibility. Yeah. But then fortunately we see these videos. Well, you can't. You can't question that because you can physically see and hear yeah. what was happening. Yeah. One of the one of the things that they did talk about that they didn't totally get into is that there were concerns about the safety of the police going into that apartment because they knew about the shooting that they, you know, mm-hmm. were looking for the the Jeep. And mm-hmm. when the first time they went to the house, the first time that Stubbs went to the house, so this was the second visit that day. Yeah. Alex, she said Alex is here, but he never came into the conversation and he could see out of the corner of his eye up the top of the stairs that something was something someone
1: Uh
0: was like pacing back and forth up there because he could see like there was light coming through a window and someone was walking in front of it back and forth. So they had concerns about the safety of the officers. And boy, uh, I. For super
1: good reason, especially then knowing that there was an arsenal in that house.
0: After that, finding those guns. Yeah.
1: Can you imagine searching that house and finding that many guns? I mean, I know I keep Mm -hmm. hammering on that, but
0: seriously, who has 46 guns? The hell do you need 46 guns for? Yeah. Well, we all know what. Um, So that was, that was really interesting, but to see, get to see what they saw and hear what they heard. On those first couple of days, that wow. They, yeah. I don't have any doubt that they already were like, Yeah, these kids are dead. Mm-hmm. They that's had just loved. my my observation, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what happened today. It was weird. We bounced all around. Um <laughs> But I feel like finally we're moving forward in time as far as mm-hmm. the timeline of this case is concerned. Yeah. Because it has felt like we've sat on Charles's situation till I think everyone was like, all week. Yeah. We've heard every angle of that situation that you can possibly imagine. It's nice to see things moving forward. So we know coming up, you know, they've still got to talk to Melanie Pulaski, Boudreaux Pulaski, mm-hmm. uh, Ian Pulaski. Mm-hmm. Are they going to talk to the um, storage unit guy? That discovered the, you know, the uh, security cam. Yeah, and all of that. There's a. Those are some things to still come, you know. On are they going to talk to Ian
1: Pulowski's ex-wife?
0: Yes. Are they going to talk to Natalie Pulowski? Mm-hmm. Good question, because she's she reported a bunch of things too, because Ian started telling her some really scary stuff, and she was yeah. worried for the safety of her own children. For so some reason. of those folks we think might be coming up. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing we've not seen at all is forensic physical evidence.
1: Yeah. We haven't
0: seen any of that yet. We haven't seen any. Nobody has really testified about the autopsies, like the Mm -hmm. people who conducted the autopsies.
1: Mm -hmm. Haven't
0: seen that yet. So there's a lot to go, most definitely.
1: Uh, Lori's cell phone pings.
0: Yes, Lori's cell phone pings. So anxious
1: to hear about Lori's cell phone pings the way we heard about Alex's.
0: Yes, Alex's and Chad's.
1: And and Tammy's full autopsy.
0: And yes, Tammy's full autopsy. What have they determined a time of death for her? Because that timeline is all screwed up. Uh-huh. Um, from what's reported to what the state of her body was in. Yeah. Right. If there's a medical examiner or whoever it was, because uh-huh. we don't really have a medical examiner here. So, but, you know, if that's somebody coming from Boise.
1: That was all done in Utah.
0: Yes, it was. So somebody from Utah, then we have from the lab in Idaho. So those are all things that are going to be coming up. I'm sure there's lots more police and there's got to be more FBI, too, coming. Mm -hmm. So,
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But Hmm. that's
0: where we ended it for this week. It's kind of a weird week. Only three days of court. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, they they said, you know, things are were, we're burning through these witnesses really fast. Uh-huh. And you know, you have people scheduled who are planning to like be in Boise on Monday. And everyone is traveling to uh-huh. this to this hearing, to this trial. So you can't just say, oh, sorry, uh you, we don't need you mon- uh, Monday. We need you tomorrow. That just it's yeah. not gonna work. So that's why they did they, right. they canceled for tomorrow.
1: But, you know consider that initially when this was still a death penalty case they said it was going to be a 10-week trial yeah now uh you know and then we figured it would be less because uh but i believe they did tell the jury eight to ten weeks
0: mm-hmm. but
1: uh mm-hmm. i'm sitting at five or six don't you think
0: yes because i just don't really think the defense is going to present a whole lot
1: i was thinking today about what is it going to look like when the jury goes out for deliberations Mm-hmm. i don't think the jury's going to deliberate for very long i don't but then what for us here in the madison viewing room then what i know well, then how what? is this going to work
0: if they will set like the next morning because a lot of times when a jury comes back they go immediately into court to hear the verdict yeah and will they just do that and say you guys are out of luck I don't know. It's possible.
1: Well, or will they stream it? And if you, you know, happen to hear that the jury's back, I mean, we'll just have to keep a really close eye on Mm -hmm. on Nate Eaton, probably, Mm -hmm. uh, or Alex or some of the other reporters down there. Yeah. But, uh, and if, you know, we see them report that the jury's back, we will have to be hightailing it to to the Madison Courthouse. That's all I can Mm -hmm. imagine. I don't know. I, I really want us to be able to be present.
0: Yeah. I do, too, for
1: the reading of the verdict. But I just wonder how that's going to work.
0: And will sentencing be immediate?
1: I doubt it. This judge doesn't do anything immediate.
0: But he doesn't take a long time. I mean, could it be like the next day? I don't think it's going to be a long wait.
1: No, I think it would be a day or two. He really likes to do his research.
0: He does. That's true. He does. But I don't think he'll he'll drag it out. Like they sometimes put it out months. I don't think that's gonna happen here.
1: I'd be really surprised if it, well, but then again, I mean, no, it probably will be a little ways out because there will still be victims impact statements. I mean, they're the the victims' families, this is kind of their time to shine. They'll still have opportunities to show that's up. True. So it could be pushed out further than you
0: think. It could be, that is true. Bug. I don't know, at this point, I'm like, I just, it's like we're running for the finish line. Mm-hmm. Just get there.
1: Right, for sure. Yeah. So there had been some conversation about, uh, we had been asked in the past, will Lori uh, in between sentencing or or conviction and sentencing, if, if conviction happens, uh, if she would return to the Madison County Jail? Our understanding is that she will not, that she'll remain in Boise
0: She's going to end up in Boise anyway for there's an assessment facility that she would go through first Mm -hmm. through the Department of Corrections before she's then housed at wherever she's going to be housed permanently. Mm -hmm. Or then there might be some decisions made by Arizona if they're going to extradite her immediately or what they're going to do. So, right. There's just no reason to bring her back to Madison.
1: No, no, but they won't. The Madison County Jail believes that they are done with her for good. So,
0: yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that's the crazy day in court. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be back next week with more shenanigans. And I think Lying Liars episode was a great t- title for this because there was Thank a lot so of lying liars today. Oh, But we're going to let you go with that. So do not forget to like, subscribe, share and comment. We appreciate all of you so much. If you want to support us, you know, this is a huge amount of work on our part. You can go to our website, which is truecrimesquad.com. We, you can buy us a coffee there. You can give us a tip on PayPal. Those things are much appreciated because this is a huge time <laughs> burden we are taking on right now, as I'm sure uh-huh. you all are, too, because you're here watching these. Yeah. Um, and we appreciate that. So if And we wouldn't do it personally. any differently.
1: Don't get us no, wrong. We, we're, we're very glad for to it. finally yeah. be
0: here, definitely. But, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It is Oof. a lot. It's all well, we can think
1: about. Yeah, I get in bed at night just have to drain my brain because I just I'm right, still th- like I'm in court mode and thinking and thinking and
0: whew. I know get tired of it. I'm getting tired of that part. <laughs> I know. I, I come TikTok. home and just watch funny videos on TikTok. Like, all right, <laughs> away from this for a while.
1: Well, TikTok I, is the happy distraction.
0: Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? We are the True Crime Squad. Thanks for being here. Take care. <laughs>